You are listening to the one and only Wrestling Change My Life podcast. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is not our traditional guest, I'll admit. He's an Olympian, but in bobsledding. He's a Green Beret. But he wrestled in high school, and he's a wrestling fanatic. It's Nate Weber, and this is a great conversation. Really hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to Luke Waldugo. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Fan of Morel Mushrooms, fan of the podcast, and I'm a fan of you, Luke. Thank you for tuning in, brother. Greatly appreciated. Also, if you want more episodes or more content, go to our website, wrestlingchangemylife.com. Probably within a week or so, we're going to have some merch up there. The Shopify store is under construction as we speak. So thank you for tuning in, and let's give it up for Nate Weber. Peace! All right, we're here with Nathan Weber. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ryan? Outstanding. Now, before we talk uh, your career and, and your story, there's a big wrestling match this weekend, man. One of your foes, Pat Downey, <laughs> going at uh, Nick Rodriguez, man. What do you what do you think about that matchup? Pretty crazy, huh? Um, you know, I like I like to think that I kind of set the tone for that doing my match with Pat. Um, obviously, you know you know who I'm cheering for. I need I need Pat to win to pull me into repassage. <laughs> Um, I want I want my hopes to stay alive to be the inner sport champion of the world, but uh, you know at least at least bring home maybe a bronze medal or something. Um, but I'm actually I'm really excited to watch that. I think it's just cool that both guys would do that coming off of their biggest competition of the year, right? The ADCCs was last weekend, and then the Worlds were two weeks ago. So most guys are probably relaxing a little bit, getting themselves ready, and these guys are going to go battle at Carver Hawkeye Arena, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely not you know Pat's Pat's type of thing to go and take time off. He's you know he's a real hardworking guy and he's really dedicated to to getting getting what he wants in life and, and achieving the goals he has. So, so did you know him like from your days wrestling or just kind of at the Olympic Training Center? Um. So yeah, that's actually that's actually how I met him was in the uh, in the recovery center at the Olympic Training Center. Um, 
And obviously wrestling is something I follow. It's something I grew up doing. I started when I was seven years old and did it all the way through high school. Um, so when I, when I see those guys in there at the training center, I talk to them and, and, and hang out with them a little bit. And, uh, you know, Pat got, Pat and I got to know each other a little bit and I started following him on Twitter and saw some of the stuff he puts out on Twitter. He's a little bit wild. Um, and how, Hey, I'll take on anyone, anywhere, anytime. So I decided, Hey, I'm going to, after Pan Am's, I'm going to challenge Pat to a little, a little, basically a sumo wrestling match. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun and I, you know, thought it would be a good idea. Hey, let's show people, um, Pat's not joking when he says anywhere, any, anyone, anytime. And, uh, I had actually done it before with a, uh, with a Greco world champion, uh, Dremel, uh, Byers. What? Uh, about four, Dude, that four guy's years huge. prior. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I actually, I actually did better against him. Um, than, than I did against Pat, but I was I was in a little bit better shape four years ago. I'm coming off some uh, some injuries and surgeries, but I didn't you know want to throw that out there and act like I was making excuses for Pat. But uh, yeah, I, I had done it four years ago. I didn't let Pat know. I really did think I was going to win because of, because of how well I did four years ago. But um, he's he's a world class wrestler. So even even modified rules, yeah, uh, he was able to take me. Well, I watched it, and I first thought, I, I had no idea who you were, and I go, this guy is going to get killed out there. And then I looked at your background, and I realized that you wrestled, and that you're a Green Beret, and that you're an Olympic bobsledder. Then I go, shit, this is a tough one for Pat, because it's a it's a lose-lose, right? If you win, it's like, okay. If you lose, it's like, yikes, you know? So that was pretty cool that he did that, and that just kind of shows, to your point, he doesn't care who it is, man. He'll he'll take on anyone. Yeah, well, no, I didn't. I didn't really see it as a lose lose though for either of us because if you know if I won, well, it's modified rules. Yeah, I did grow up wrestling, you know, and and it's obvious if we were to do any type of freestyle rules where he could take me down and throw me, I'm not a, I'm not world class. I took third in state in high school. Yeah. Um, so, so it was just it was just something fun to do, and uh, really cool. It made it made me miss the sport so much, though. You are very you're a big fan of it, though. I follow your your Twitter, and you are like one of those people, like the rest of us, the crazies, where you're staying up watching the matches. You're you're following the world scene. You're following the women's scene. I mean, it's just cool to see someone who's done so much in other areas of life still be such a fan of wrestling. Well, yeah, and, and, and the cool thing is um, now it's so much easier to be a fan of wrestling. Yes. Um, because because with all these like uh, these websites like Track Wrestling and Flow Wrestling, you can really follow it and you can really get engaged with it. And then, you know, me being at the Olympic Training Center, I get to, you know, see these guys and, you know, have lunch with them and, uh, and lift weights next to, you know, Jaden Cox, which that guy's an absolute animal. Holy smokes, um, dude! It's it's hard it's hard not to be it's hard not to be involved. I was actually almost com- I was completely off Twitter for about a year, um, in 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 getting getting kind of back involved in that and back involved in wrestling is uh, is is the reason I'm back on there and and kind of enjoying myself on there. What's well, crazy uh, how 
like growing up, I didn't know anything about the international scene, even though I was obsessed with wrestling. But now kids are fan of like Yazdani Chirati. They're fans of Sidikov and Sajulayev. Whereas before Flow and Track, you didn't even know who these guys were. You'd never even watched a world championship match up until, you know, five years ago. Yeah, and, and, and people didn't even really know who Alexander Corellin was until, you know, <laughs> Ruan Gardner beat him. And then it's like, oh, this guy was undefeated for, what was it, like? 11 you know, years? 11, 12 years, yeah. And, and, and people just didn't know. Although I will say this, all, all, the, all the people who are saying, you know, Sergeyev is the pound-for-pound pound number one, what country did you grow up in? What what kind what kind of communist propaganda are they teaching you kids in school? You've got you've got a guy a weight class down from him, Jaden Cox, who didn't get scored on in Pan Ams, uh, or not in Pan Ams in um, uh, the Yasar Dogu or in World Championships, not a single point. And you're and you're gonna say this Russian guy is a better wrestler than you? <laughs> get out. My man, I just, uh, it's funny you say that. Jane's been on the podcast and couldn't be a nicer guy. And I said this before the podcast we did. I go most underrated wrestler in the world right now, maybe of all time, because he's so good. But now he's not underrated. Everyone knows he's the man. And I don't know where he's going to go for the trials, up or down. He's got to be the favorite whatever way he goes. Well, and that's, and that's, and that's what I think in like, that's that's an area where you know I kind I kind of stay off of uh, you know off of Twitter on is um, like Flo posted uh, the other the other week. Who do you think's going to be on the Olympic team? And I know quite a few of those guys now, so I don't want to hurt feelings or you know be like right. oh I don't I don't know how much they pay attention to what I say, but I don't I don't want to you know throw out there who. Oh, I think I think you know Jaden's going to beat you. I think you're going to beat Jaden, kind of thing. I think whichever way Jaden goes, he's going to win because um, he's just he's just so good. Um, I kind of feel the same way about you, though, in terms of you don't want to upset anyone when you're picking, but you're going to upset some people. I mean, even if you, even if Snyder went heavyweight and Cox went up, which is kind of like what I've always been saying for that the past month my friends call me crazy but i just think that would be awesome because then all of our best guys get to go jb and dake one of those guys is still not going right and then derringer still not going if taylor beats him and then you got all these guys behind the scenes valencia mark hall imar it's a good problem to have right now because the u.s has never been this good in international wrestling but it's tough yeah, to say. What, what, what do you what do you think happens with the whole uh, Zane Yanni and then there's you know Jordan Oliver down there as well too? Who do you think goes from them? Man, I gotta thank Yanni just because he's winning international tournaments and none of the. I don't think Zane's ever won an inter. I think he's won an international tournament, but not like the Dogu, which is a pretty tough one. Um, but then Jo, to your point. That's kind of the sleeper right now because, you know, he was coming off suspension last year. And I can only imagine, Nate, I don't know if you remember the name Aaron Pico, but if he was still in the mix too, I mean, how deep would that weight be? It's 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 crazy how deep it is right now. I saw something the other day and it was I was like, this is the most perfect statement I've ever read. It said, Yanni is the best at beating everyone else in the world. 
Zayn is the best at beating Yanni. Yeah, I know. Because I remember thinking and watching um, the the world championship matches and, and just thinking, well, Bajrang got, you know, bronze. Yanni just beat him at Beat the Streets. I, I would like to think that Yanni would have won a medal there. I think he's so. Just, he's just leveling up so fast. I think he's he's probably the guy that goes to the Olympics. But at that level, you can't sleep on anyone. You, you never you never really know. Um, but if I if I had to put money, I'd put money on him. And I also I know I know this might be a little bit of an unpopular opinion. I think I think uh, especially with you, I think Dake. I don't think uh, Jordan Burroughs stops in this year. It's funny. I just uh, I just commented on your tweet. I got to go JB one more time, man. But it's I wouldn't be surprised at all if Dake wins. I think Dake probably is the best wrestler in the United States right now. Maybe better than Cox even. I don't know. It's tough to say, but he's just... He's never challenged, and he put the beat down on Derringer, and I love Derringer, and he just... Him and Cox are just so good right now. It's hard to say. And let's say he does win. Dake versus Sitikoff is going to be the match of the decade because they just, you know, they, it's just going to be a hell of a match. You know, I mean, the guys beat JV two times in a row. And man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about all the other countries at the Worlds were kind of baffled that? Yanni wasn't on the team because he won the Yasser Dogu and they don't really follow a qualification process. Do you think we should ditch the qualification process and just pick the best guys? Or do you like when we have the Olympic trials to wrestle it out? Yeah, no, abs- absolutely not. Absolutely do not get rid of the Olympic trials because if you do that and say, Oh, well, we think he's better. That opens the world up for so much politics and yeah. so much just absolute drama. It's, it's, that is 100% not fair to the athlete mm-hmm. because, because the way that we run it now where it's like, well, I beat you, I get to go at least then the guy who lost can sit there and, and say, well, I lost. Yeah. Not, 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 this is BS. They picked him. I'm better because everyone thinks they're better. Um, yeah, think, but I'm I saying like that, if they both go to the same tournament, like you know how in college if if they have a wrestle off and the guys are like dead even, they send them to like the U and I Open and whoever places higher is on the team, or they send them to Midlands. So more so like not hand picking, but if hey they're dead even, send them to a tournament and wrestle it out. And to your point, I agree we should keep the Olympic trials. But up until the last time Yanni and Zayn wrestled, no one really knew who was better. Even though they had wrestled five times, every match was so close you still didn't know who was better. But the last dress off at that high school, Zane kind of shut Yanni down, and I didn't. I've never seen that when any of them had wrestled before. You know, it was so close that you still didn't know who was better. If it's that kind of sounds weird, but I think you know what I mean. Well, no, yeah, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. But how how upset would Zane have been if uh, if they would have taken Yanni over him? No and, doubt, and he would he would have had absolutely every single right to be. Yeah. So, so I don't, I don't think you can get that process. And I think what they've done with, uh, with the whole final X thing now, where you have people wrestle through a tournament and then there's separation from the actual tournament to who's wrestling for the spot on that world team. I think that's, that's absolutely huge and a good thing as far as making things more fair too. Um, yeah, I, I love have, I have a little, 
a, a little bit of a personal vendetta against the, oh, well, we're going to take you and, you know, wrestle you guys at a tournament. Um, because I actually, I lost, I lost a spot um, to that exact same thing um, when I was in high school. Like when I was a high school sophomore, I felt like the coach had favored, you know, someone else. And I beat, I beat the guy in a wrestle off. And then lo and behold, the tournament that weekend, Hey, we're going to bring him anyway. Well, we wrestled at the tournament. I had just got off the mat about 30 minutes ago. He hadn't been on the mat in two hours and we're going to call this a wrestle off. I'm like, this isn't fair. So that's, that's my, my little personal bias against, against doing it like that. And, you know, against say, giving Yanni the spot because, um, you know, they wrestled at the Yasar Dogu and obviously Yanni won that one. Um, I think, I think you just have to have a set of rules in place so that way everyone knows and you can't, you can't really deviate. It's, Hey, put up or shut up right here. This is your moment. If you don't get it. Um, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You have, I think you're right, and I also love Final X. I'm glad they consolidated it from three weeks to two. And if they consolidated it to one weekend, I'd probably go to it, but it's just too much travel to go to one or the other. But I I love the concept of Final X and separating it from the tournament. But what they're doing right is the returning world medals gets a bye to the finals. And I think that should always be the case because those guys shouldn't have to go through that if they've gone and got a medal at the world level. So... I think that's going well. And I think just in general with the rules, wrestling's never been in a better place. I love the freestyle rules. And it's just going to be the, the next 10 months of wrestling between the U.S. Open being in December, the college season, and then the Olympic trials being two weeks after the D1 Nationals. We are in for a treat, my friend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Are you going to Are you gonna try and go out to the, uh, to the Olympic trials out at Penn State? Yep, I just bought my ticket. So my brother and I are going to go. Um, I live in Chicago now, but I grew up about an hour from Iowa City. And so it was in Iowa City the past two times, and we always went to that. And then actually back in 2004, my mom took me when I was in middle school, and it was like my birthday present to go to the 2004 trials. So I, I try not to miss the Olympic trials, man. It is so emotional and so exciting. That's, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm hoping I get to go. Uh, you know, still being in the Army, it might be kind of hard. Um, I always have a hard time planning that far in advance, but if I can go and just sit there and every, almost every single match is like watching a NCAA, you know, championship match. It's, it's absolutely insane. Like, cause think, think of all the, think of all the names that we've rattled off, you know, in, no in, the, question. Past, in the past 15 minutes and you get to, you get to watch those guys, you get to watch those guys wrestle and, you know, even even the people, even the, the level of talent there is just so unreal. Um, well, think about 125. How, how can you not be excited? We People don't really talk about 125 that much right now because the other weights are so stacked. But 125, if Soriano goes down, and I think he's going to, to me, that is the most exciting, one of the most exciting weights all around because you have Thomas Gilman, Spencer Lee, Dayton Fix, Soriano, and then the guys at 133 are going to come down. So, like, um, Nashawn is going to come down. Graf is going to come down. I mean, that is going to be, to me, the sleeper away in terms of depth. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a big Suriano fan. I like, I like watching his matches against, uh, against picks. I think, I think I like him cause he's, you know, one of those tough scrappy guys. Oh yeah. Who, you know, seem like, seem like they would come and, you know, fight you off the mat as well. Uh, but, uh, Obviously, you know too. I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Tyler Graff. He went he went to high school about 45 minutes from me, so um, we went to all the same tournaments and stuff as kids. So I'm used to watching him wrestle uh, from from being kids and everything. Um, that's that's going to be a really exciting weight to watch uh, next year at the trials as well. And especially like I think I think Tyler's one of those guys that people are really sleeping on. He went and took fit that you know. Dude, he, he, he battled was, he out there. One, he looked one. good. Yeah, no, and, and, and people people were sleeping on him, and people people forget Joe Colon is a world medalist. That, I forgot Graff about him. And, hand, and, and, and he handled him. So. Yeah, and, like, Cologne's probably going to go down. You know, so it's like, add that, that's seven or eight guys that are so deep. Um, it's just crazy. Whereas, like, I feel at 145 and a half, there's three guys that can win. At 125 and a half, I think there's a lot of guys that could win. And my favorite college wrestler is Spencer Lee or Stevan Michik, too, from Michigan, but he's wrestling for Serbia. But Spencer oh, yeah, Lee yeah. is yeah. my he, favorite. He, he had a really good world championship. Oh, what if he was in that weight, too? Think, See, I like that he's wrestling for Serbia, so more guys get to wrestle. And if he was wrestling for the U.S., that would mean that 125 would be Lee, Fix, Soriano, Michik, and the three guys from the weight above, Cologne, Graf, and Deshaun Garrett. I think it's just mind-boggling how deep that weight is. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I think, Fix got, I think Fix got robbed at the World Championships, and we really didn't get to see his full run because that match he lost was very questionable in my opinion. Yeah, and that like that's if 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 I could change one thing in how they do uh, international wrestling, it would be that they do more of a you know kind of an American style bracket where if you lose, you just drop down in the consolation bracket. You can wrestle your own way through. You're not dependent on someone else to pull you through. That's that's the only thing that really bothers me about the way about the way they do things bracket wise. Yeah, to, and exactly. They, they've they made a lot of improvements in terms of the seeding. Um, that's awesome. But why do we have two bronze medals at each weight, and why don't we have full wrestlebacks, to your point? Exactly, exactly. It doesn't it, even it make sense. full wrestlebacks. Yeah. Because a lot of the times, and in, in it goes like the, the whole Yanni Zane thing, styles sometimes win matches. So if you run into the wrong guy... You might you might lose a match, but that doesn't mean you're not one of the better people in the world. So you could you could lose a guy just based on style in the first or the second round, and still be a guy who should be you know coming in top five, top three, wherever at Worlds. But you never you never get a chance to show it because because that guy he doesn't have the style to beat the next guy. So you're you're both out of the tournament now. I don't I don't like that about it. There are a lot of good guys at the World Championships this year who did not even get to wrestle back who could have easily placed. Yeah, I mean, you just you just you see it all the time. It's like, oh, this this person, and and I, I like to bring up Pat because Pat's probably the guy I know the best on the team. But it's like he goes two and one. 
he could he could have won a couple more matches down in the consolation. Mm-hmm. Um, or or you know you see oh so and so went zero and one at world championships. This tournament's over. He gets one match. It's like what the hell is match? that? Yeah. It's just frustrating to see 0-1. I mean, God, they flew all the way over there. They've been training for God knows how many months. I mean, really their whole life, but for this tournament, months. And they don't get a wrestle back? It's just mind-boggling to me that that's still the rules. But anyway. Yeah, and, and, to your, and to your point, too, why are there two bronze medals? Have the two guys who won bronze medals wrestle, and one of them gets a bronze medal. Yeah, it, it's like it doesn't make sense, but it has come a long way from the dark ages of the ball drop and and that whole shenanigans. Um, and I love how much, how into wrestling you are, but it's it's emblematic of everyone who wrestles. It just brings you in, it, and people love wrestling, and that's really the whole theme of this podcast. So I read an Instagram post that you put out a few weeks or months ago, where you talk about in high school you were obsessed with winning a state title and you didn't get it done you got third and that kind of propelled your career to go on into the special forces so just kind of talk about that moment and how it shaped your life um so yeah that was that was one of the tough kind of one of the defining moments of my life was uh was when i didn't go out and win a state championship it was something i always wanted to do it was something i really should have done i was i was ranked number one all the way through the season i had one loss leading into the regional tournament my senior year i come off a torn meniscus my junior year um disciplinary issues my sophomore year so so i only had one chance to do it and i was out there um it was a quarterfinal match a guy who I beat pretty handily in a tournament earlier. Um, there was there was no way he was going to beat me. I was I was beating him I think nine to one or something like that. And I was riding legs. I got caught high, and she pulled me over on my back. Well, I thought I was off the edge of the mat, so I quit wrestling. And as soon as I did that, I was called pinned, and my dream was absolutely over. It was absolutely over. So I watched that guy lose every other match in the tournament. He ended up finishing sixth. I watched a guy who I pinned in a minute, 30 seconds, uh, lose in the state finals. I think it was six to three. And I, I sat there on the, po- on, on the podium holding my little third place medal. And I was just, I was so upset by it. And then, you know, kind of later on, I, I, I figured out, man, I'm one of those guys who says, Oh, I should have won a state championship. I wish I could have. And instead of instead of let that, you know, be something um, in my life that I was just going to be saying, you know, for the rest of my life, or just be bitter about it. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person who says I should have, I could have, if this would have happened, I would have. Because most of those people, let's be honest, they're they're liars. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have been playing in the NFL if you didn't decide to date your girlfriend, you know, in college. It's, it's 100% lie. If, if, you, would, if you would have been there, you could, or if you could have been there, you, you would be there. You would have been there. So I kind of I use that and use that motivation to not be a shoulda, coulda, woulda guy to, uh, to, to be like, well, I'm going to go and accomplish something more. Um, and I, I kind of feel like had had I won that state championship, I would have felt a little bit more content. I wouldn't have had the drive that I would have. Um, but 
because I didn't, I had a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, I need, I need to go do something else with my life. So I decided when I was in the army, I want to be a green beret. I went through all my special forces training. I did that. Um, and then, you know, while I was going through that, a buddy of mine had a, uh, had a men's health magazine in, in his barracks room where we would go and we would have lunch during the day. And I found out by reading about the, the process of joining the bobsled team that, Hey, maybe my Olympic dreams aren't over. Um, so it was, it was something that I, that I really decided to pursue. Um, and, and then, you know, to, to the other point of it, I would have never been able to become a green beret. I never would have been able to, to do all the training that I had to, to make the Olympic team in the conditions that I had to do it. Had I not grown up wrestling, um, really pushing, pushing ATVs and pushing trucks in Africa, you know, for, or African Afghanistan for three years, never knowing if I'm going to get another chance to, to really try out and go to the Olympic trials for bobsled, just training with just the tiniest glimmer of hope. I, I would have never had the mental toughness to do that had I not wrestled my entire life. Because that's that's what I would think back to is, you know, all of, all the red flag practices, all the two days I used to do, you know, where you would just be absolutely dead tired, but you would put in the work anyway, because that's that's how it was most days. I would be dead tired. We we would be out there, and I would be doing my actual special forces job, and then, you know, come like nine ten o'clock at night. All right, it's time to train for bobsled here, here in uh, here in lovely Africa, uh, and I, I never would have been able to do that had I, had I not grown up wrestling. So it really, like, it's absolutely changed my life and shaped who I am today. That's powerful, man. And there's there's so many stories like that where the obstacle at the time seems so overwhelming that you think there's no way that good can come from this, right? And if someone would have talked to you Saturday night, your senior year of the state tournament, you would have said, you're out of your mind if this is a good thing for me. It, you know, it's so painful. Um, and I I can relate, man. I was in the semis and I did the I did the semi slide to six and I really regret that to this day. <laughs> and so uh, at least you came back for third, man. Um, but you, you kind of took us through your career there and there's so many areas to jump in, but... You know, the first thing is you're in the Army, and then you decide to go Special Forces. How different is Green Beret training versus like Navy SEAL training and, and the kind of stuff you're doing day to day? Um, so so Green Beret training obviously involves a little bit less sun tanning and a little bit less hair gel. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a course <laughs> on how to, how, to, how to write our books afterwards. Um, but, Let's okay, go, all, man. All, all kidding – yeah, no, you know, I gotta, I gotta take my jabs at those guys. Um, obviously those guys are great. Um, they're, they're, do, they're out there doing great things. Um, our training is a little bit longer. Um, like my pipeline from the, from the time I went to selection to the time I graduated with my green beret was about two and a half years. Um, wow. Yeah, it's 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 a long time. So we all we all speak a second language, or at least you know try to, um, as as part of our training. 
And then depending on what your job is on the special forces team, that, that'll alter how long you train a little bit too. But a lot of the stuff we do is the same. We do a lot of small unit tactics. Um, later on, after you've got your Green Beret, we'll, we have scuba teams and stuff that do stuff uh, similar to what the SEALs do. Um, but we have other specialties as well um, on, on our different um, ODAs. So it's it's a lot similar, a, a little bit different. Um, a lot longer, though, it I seems think. like. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're a little bit longer, but, you know, we throw in we throw in the language training and stuff. Um, and then okay. a, a big a big part of why mine was longer is because I'm the medic on the team. Um, so we do everything all the way up to surgery and anesthesia. Um, like I actually, I did a, uh, a facial surgery in a, uh, in a tent in Africa five years ago, um, oh my by God. myself where I put, I put a guy completely under and, uh, sewed his nose and his lip back on cause it was about halfway detached. I'll, I'll probably put that up on my Instagram at some point here in the near future. I've been a little bit lazy with my posting and, and keeping up with things. Um, so did you go to med school or did they just train you that in the green berets? Um, like that's, that's part of our training. Um, is, oh my is God. we do, we do, we do minor surgery. We do, uh, we, we train on, uh, something called radical tissue debridements and we do, uh, you know, amputations and stuff. Um, during our course, and we we run the anesthesia during that too. Uh, we actually we go to uh, hospitals all all around the country, and uh, we we kind of we kind of get to play doctor when we're there. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, not not something that most people know that special forces do, or you know that that guys in that in that realm do. But we go we go out there and do it because when we're in places like Africa. I was the only medical provider probably within about 300 miles. So Holy smokes. It, it, it's, yeah, it's pretty important that you have a guy on your team who's trained to a pretty high level. So you're out there in the, in the thick of it. I mean, you mentioned a couple of the, of the deployments, but one was Cameroon, which I've read is like right on the equator, right? And now are you thinking about the bobsled team before you got there? And I, again, I know you read that in the, you read that article in, in a magazine, but how does this even, how do you go from that to thinking I could be on the bobsled team? So like, how did that all transpire? Um, so, so it's kind of, it kind of, it kind of goes back to that whole, uh, it, like it all ties in at this point. Um, I was, I was going through my surgery training, um, for special forces and I read that magazine article and so it's, 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 it's kind of funny. There's a, there's an, uh, Yahoo article out there where I said, can I swear on this? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Podcast? Yeah. Okay. Uh, where, where I called it the shit that changed my life because the whole reason I, the whole reason I got into bobsled was because he had the men's health, health magazine and I was in the bathroom and I picked it up because I had to take shit and, uh, <laughs> it, it, it changed, it changed my life. So, uh, being being the kind of person I am, I was going through my surgery training, and after I read that you can try out for the bobsled team, I ran my mouth a little bit to some of my surgery instructors. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a green beret, and I'm going to go be a you know 
be in the Olympics one day. I'm going to be an Olympic bobsledder. And honestly, I forgot about it for about two years. So this was in 2010, right after a men's team won a, or a four-man team won a gold medal. Um, and two years later, I'm sitting in my team room, and this, this guy walks in down the hallway. And it was one of my former surgery instructors. And he looks at me, he's like, hey, Nate, I thought you said you were going to be an Olympic bobsledder. What happened with that? And I kind of looked wow. at him for a second, and I thought to myself, I was like, you're right, I did say that. I better I better put my money where my mouth is. Um, so I walked down all of our special forces groups. We have strength and conditioning programs, very similar to a, a D1 or a professional uh, strength and conditioning program. And I walked in and said, hey, can you write me a program? I need to be good at these things. And I showed him what the bobsled combine was. And uh, our, our coach, she wrote me a program. He's, his name's Paul Goldberg. He used to be with the Colorado Avalanche for 11 years. Um, so I really, I really lucked into that where I had a really good strength and conditioning coach, and he wrote me a program. And I started training for it, and this was in 2012. Obviously, 2014, I didn't make the team. Um, and I thought that was, again, kind of, kind of like losing at, this, at the uh, state tournament in high school. I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, but then over the next three years, I got to go and I got to really see who I was. I got to train while I was in Niger where we, we couldn't, we brought weights and we couldn't touch the bar until after the sun went down because our weight room was outside and, and it was so hot there that the bar was so hot. You couldn't touch it without gloves on until well after the sun went down. So I got, I got to go and I got to train through all these hardships and I got to push ATVs, um, you know, I got to push trucks. I got to drag water cans while everyone else was back here training at the Olympic Training Center, you know, getting treated like a king. And it turned out to be one of the best things for me because when the Olympics came around, who do you think the story was? Who did NBC want to talk to? Who did ABC want to talk to? Not, not, not the person who's, you know, the easy road there who's trained like everyone else who's been at the Olympic training center, they wanted to talk to me. So, so right. Once again, that thing that I thought was so horrible, Hey, I didn't make the Olympic team. It turned out to be the best thing for me. So how do they, how do they select the team? And is there like a junior bobsledding program where there's kids training right now for it? Um, so there are junior bobsled programs, uh, but most push athletes. So what I do, um, where all we do is push the sled. If you're a really, really, really good athlete, um, like we're talking, you could have played in the NFL. Uh, you not, right. oh, I could, I, I could have if, uh, you know, if I didn't have that girlfriend in college, but like actually could have, um, there's, there's a chance that you can go and make that team because we're, where bobsled recruits from is they get a lot of their athletes who are former division one hundred meter runners, not the guy, not the guy necessarily that's going to go to the Olympics. Um, but you know, someone is someone who's really fast, um, but also really strong because we're pushing that sled. It weighs about 500 pounds. Wow. I will, I will say this. I will say this though. We did, we did actually have a, uh, you know, a hundred meter 
so I say it's not the person who goes and runs the 100 meters at the Olympics. Um, but we had Lauren Williams on the 2014 team. She was a summer Olympian and silver medalist at the 100 meters. Um, on, the, on the men's, oh, we had Lolo Jones, um, who I'm sure most people have heard of. She's a, she's a hurdler who should have won gold in 2008 and ended up tripping on the last hurdle. Um, but also, also a really great athlete. And then we had on the men's team, Ryan Bailey, um, who in 2012 took fifth in the hundred meters. I think it's, it's been upgraded to fourth, um, because of some doping with other people, but you get, you get a lot, you get a lot of those, you get a lot of those people, um, you get some former NFL players. Um, we had we had a former NFL player on uh, the 2014 team, Johnny Quinn, uh, one of my teammates, um, was on the on the Raiders and the Patriots for a little while. Uh, Sam McGuffey, absolute speed demon. The guy is the guy's like lightning. I think he ran a 4.29 at the actual NFL Combine. Oh my lord! Ridic- ridiculous fast. Um, so we're talking athletes at this level, and. In 2014, you don't make it, and it sounds like you thought you had a legit shot to do it. And so the next three years, you're in deployment all over the world. And one of the stories that I found pretty interesting was, I think you were in Afghanistan at this point. You were warming up, and you're like 45 minutes into your workout. You're warmed up, and all of a sudden, you get some shrapnel. And like people are bombing you. What happened there? Um, so, okay. That's a little bit more dramatic than it sounds. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people will think I'm downplaying it. Maybe I'm just a total, a total lunatic and, and, and totally crazy here. Um, but, uh, so I'm warming up and doing, doing a sprint, a sprint warm up, a sprint workout. Uh, just a warm up takes about 45 minutes. So I had just gotten done doing an entire sprint warm up, and there's these these things called CRAMs that are all around the base in Afghanistan. I'm I'm on Bagram Air Force Base at the time, and you're used to seeing them go off kind kind of all over the place. Um, well, this one went off right next to me. It was probably it was probably about 30 yards from me or so. And this thing was loud, so it kind of caught me off guard. And I, I, I look up to see where it's shooting, and probably about 75 meters above me, um, up in the sky, it shoots a mortar out of the sky. Um, the mortar was going to land pretty close to where I was standing and where I was warming up, so I'm just standing there. I'm still kind of in shock a little bit. Um, and then just little little pieces of the of the mortar start you know coming down. Nothing that's really going to hurt you because these sea rams do a great job of taking care of them. So it's I, I don't know. Imagine somebody threw a handful of, of gravel at you, um, and a couple of those like hit me in the arm and stuff. And I'm still just standing there, and I'm like, oh wow, holy cow, that thing that thing was coming right for me. That that sea uh, ram just saved my life. So what is that? I don't really my... follow what a sea gram is. Like it's just like a little drone flying around. Um. So it's imagine a minigun mounted to the ground that has a tracking system on it um, that triangulates mortars coming in from the sky and shoots them out of the sky. Oh wow! 
there, there, there are so many bullets that come out of this thing so fast that when they go off at night, it looks like, uh, it looks like somebody's turning on a lightsaber. So how many motors so, are they shooting out of the sky a day? Um, I think when we were on Bagram, maybe maybe like two or three a week. Like it's you okay. know it, it happened it, it happens fairly often. That's a um, lot. Uh, it, uh, it's it seems like a lot. It's not it's not really a whole lot, but um, or at least I don't think it's a lot. So anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, this this thing was you know coming right for me. I could have been killed today. So it got it got my heart racing a little bit. And I went over and I stood up next to one of the buildings because I was like, I should probably stand up next. I'm standing next to the building. I thought to myself, man, they usually only shoot one of these. So I'm probably good, and my adrenaline is going. I feel like I could run really fast right now. So I went out there and I, I ran my sprints. I ran. I, I was I was running sprints, and you know you've got the uh, the people coming through checking to make sure no one's hurt and everything, and they're in their full full uh, battle rattle with their body armor and their helmets, and you know everyone's got their guns and everything. And I'm over there in tights and a t-shirt, running sprints, and they come over and they look at me and they're like, "Sir, sir, do you know that a mortar just almost hit here?" And I looked at those guys, and I'm like, yeah, it's got me super pumped. Can't you see how fast I'm running right now? <laughs> and they, 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 looked, they looked at me like, what the is wrong with this guy? And, and they kept walking, and I kept running my sprints. And, like, I, don't, I, didn't have, I didn't have a timing system out there. I'm not I've run that fast. So That's I was, incredible. I was taking... I was taking I was taking advantage of, uh, you know, the lemonade or the lemons that uh, life handed me, or the mortars that life was handing me, and turning them into lemonade and fast sprints. And you're doing all this without any guarantee that you're going to make the team. So what is the? We'll, we'll wind down with this, but what is the like, the Olympic trials like for bobsledding? And kind of talk us through how you found out you made the team. Um. So so it's a really long process, actually. The uh, the bobsled team isn't named until probably like two weeks, three weeks before the actual uh, Olympic opening ceremonies. Um, like it's 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 a really long process. So we start with something called national push championships, and that's an opportunity for every brakeman, the guys who push the sled. We go up to Calgary, Canada. They have an ice start ramp that's kind of like a hockey rink, except it's like a bobsled start. And they have a sled that we can push individually that simulates pushing the sled as a team. So we go out there and we see who the best brakeman in the country is. In 2014, I took fourth. I did not make the Olympic team. So in... Uh, 2017 leading up to the 2018 games, I did a little bit better. I took third. I had, uh, I had actually convinced 10th special forces group who I was, who I was working for at the time. I'm like, Hey guys, I can make the Olympic team. And I wanted to tell them I was going to win it, but I, I, I decided to give myself a little bit of room and a little bit of slack. And I told them if I take top three at national push championships, you guys got to cut me loose so I can try and make the Olympic team. And I went out and took third. So perfect. After, after that, after all the brakemen have went and pushed, um, 
the dry and this this is where politics get involved a little bit. Um, but it also it also kind of makes it fair to the drivers. The drivers get to pick from those people um, who's on their who's on their team for what's called team trials. Um, so the drivers go and they, and, they, and they pick their they pick their squad based on who they think would push well together. Um, so you've got to get along with the drivers, you've got to get along with the other push athletes, um, and you also need to perform. So those teams are formed, and then you do what's called team trials. You finish on team trials. The top three sleds are usually named to the national team, and then and then. The other sleds, there's usually about five or six that, that get to compete. Um, so a lot of people go to push championships and they won't even be on a sled because they didn't push well enough. Um, but those but those other two sleds, the, the bubble sleds, they'll pull two push athletes to be alternates off of off of those. Okay. So after that's all happened, you have 11 push athletes on the national team. Then you have to go through an entire World Cup season where not only do you have to qualify all three sleds for the Olympics, um, but you have to defend your spot against these two alternates that get taken along for the entire season. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So, so I was, I was, uh, you know, not as cemented onto the team as other people because I've been doing these deployments. So I've been participating as much as I possibly could but not in the same capacity as some of these other athletes. So I got raced off eight times during the Olympic year. I had, I had to run the table and win every single race off or I wasn't going to be on the Olympic team. And that's where they'll, they'll have a competition between you and one of the alternates or, you know, they'll try a different combination or, or whatever. And if you lose, you're out. You're in the alternate spot now, and you better hope you better hope that you get uh, an opportunity to get back on there. Um, so I had I had to defend my spot after I was named the national team for uh, seven seven weeks of racing across North America and Europe um, before I was finally named the Olympic team. So and it's just like a full season of of racing seven weeks you said and you're defending this the whole time the stress level must have been incredible oh yeah and it's 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 really it's really hard to uh you know because at that level everyone is so good just just kind of like with the whole uh yanni zane thing it's like man if i have an off day if if i'm a little bit off my game today i could lose so you have you have to be both training hard enough to keep uh, your performance really high, but also training little enough that you're ready to win that competition every day. Cause you don't want to go in on competition day, you know, to defend your spot and be tired. Cause if that other guy is, if he's peaked for that spot, he might beat you that day. And it might be, it might be a fluke for the day, but uh, the coaches won't see it that way. So it's 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 hard it's hard it's it's incredibly stressful um but it was it was some it was something that um that i was able to deal with you know kind of mentally mentally because of uh because of my background in wrestling that's unbelievable and i, I just had no idea it was that involved and 
when you finally found out you made it, had to be an unbelievable feeling. Maybe we'll, we'll close down with this is what was that like? And how do you think wrestling impacted your life to the point where you were to make able to make it through that? Um, so like that, that whole experience in, in, in getting, in getting named to that team, um, we were, we were sitting in a, uh, in a track office in Germany when, when they were going to name the team. And at that point we had qualified three sleds, you know, you know that you're going to be named to the team. Um, it was, it was, it's kind of a vindicating thing. It's like, it's like that moment that I was hoping for, um, so many years ago that I thought I would get by winning a state championship. And, you know, at the time I, I had, I had such small eyes on the world that I thought, I thought that would be the greatest thing ever, but it's, I got, I, I finally got to have that moment. And it was like a moment of vindication in a moment where, you know, from then on for the rest of my life, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a person who was, who was, well, I could have won a state title. Um, it was, no, I have something better to say now. You know, I can I can say when when people ask me, "Hey, what's what's the greatest thing you've accomplished in life?" I can say, "I made it onto the Olympic team," rather than "I could have won. I should have won a state title." Um, but it was it was a truly life changing experience. Like that whole entire process, um, going and, and getting fitted for gear. Uh, by by Nike and Ralph Lauren and it's all this all this you know just awesome amazing stuff that they designed just for the Olympic team mm-hmm. and then the, the the energy and and the excitement that everyone has when you're walking through opening ceremonies it's 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 something it's something that you just you can't you can't really describe and you have no idea how amazing that's going to be until until you get there. And then you finally get to look back and be like, wow, all that work that I did, all, all of that sacrifice, um, was worth it. It was, it was really worth it. But honestly, for me, even if I didn't make that team, all that work would have been worth it anyway, because then at at least then had I not made that team, I would know I didn't, I didn't quit wrestling. I didn't, you know, say, Oh, I'm off the edge of the mat and stop. Um, so it was, I was, I was able to have that change or that different mindset, um, where I would have been happy with it either way, whether I made the team or I didn't make the team, I was going to be happy with it because I didn't do the same thing. I didn't make that same mistake I did in high school where I quit wrestling for five seconds and I was called pinned. I, I did it through the worst, most horrible conditions, you know, pushing, pushing trucks in Africa. I never, in, in my mind, I never quit wrestling. So I was, I was going to be happy with it either way. And I think, I think having that mindset and that mentality um, is what, what was able to, to get me on that Olympic team. And, and hopefully, hopefully it'll get me on another one. Hopefully it'll let me accomplish some other things in my life. Um, but really, that's kind of, that's kind of the biggest takeaway and the, and, the, and the biggest lesson I learned, I think, uh, from from wrestling is never stop wrestling. 
you know, never, never, never quit because if you do, you might regret it for the rest of your life. And luck, I was lucky enough to have a, have an opportunity to, uh, to correct that. Um, but not, not everyone gets that. So, you know, I was, I was happy. I got that opportunity to, to kind of never stop wrestling and, and, uh, turn things around for myself. It's an unbelievable story and truly inspiring. I mean, in, even if you didn't do anything except be a, uh, a special forces person, that alone is an American hero. So it's an honor to talk to you, sir. I'm so excited to get the story out there. And just thank you again for everything you've done, man. It's been an honor. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Anyone out here listening, you know, on the podcast, um, if you could give me a follow, my, my social media is uh, Nate Weber Actual. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I appreciate all the support. And, uh, you know, any, anyone that wants to cheer me on trying to make the, uh, the 2022 Olympics, um, I, would, I would really appreciate that. You know, go, go Team USA, uh, especially our wrestling team, whoever – Whoever, whichever of those studs are on the uh, on the Olympic team here in the year, I'm I'm excited to watch it. Amen, man. And if you ever need us to push anything out, just let us know and and definitely give this guy a follow. It's a, it's an entertaining. I love your. You have a good sense of comedy, and there's a lot of entertaining things you post out, especially on Twitter. So I enjoy it, even if I didn't know wrestling. You're a, you're a funny guy, man. So I look forward to following you and hopefully meeting in person one of these days here. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully I'll see you next April. Hopefully, I can get out there. Come for on, that. man! That would be awesome. Pull some strings, <laughs> baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm work, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. That's awesome, man. Well, if we do, I'll definitely see you there. And if not, man, have a great day and thank you again. All right, thanks, Ryan. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.